Welcome to Primarily 2020, the podcast all about the politics, policies, and personalities of the 2020 Democratic primary. I'm your host, Karen Robinson. On this special Monday episode of Primarily 2020, we will be continuing our series of interviews with interesting people, making the case for the candidates that they support. Today, I will be speaking to my fellow US expat, Beth Massa, who lives in Amsterdam, but grew up in South Bend, Indiana. And she wants to talk to us today about South Bend's own former mayor, Pete Buttigieg. So I am delighted to welcome to the podcast uh, Amsterdam-based Beth Massa. Beth, I hope I've got that vaguely, vaguely correct. Um, Beth is a, uh, she works in her own company that she's set up in this sort of sustainable, sustainable impact in the food industry, which sounds absolutely fascinating. And she's here to talk to me today about the candidate that she supports, with it, which is Pete Buttigieg. Welcome, Beth. Thank you very much. Very grateful to be here. And you landed my last name. Good job. Phew. I'm so relieved. Um, Much easier than Buttigieg to pronounce. Buttigieg. I've been practicing Buttigieg, though. I've been been doing this podcast for a while now. Um, And uh, I've been practicing his name. I kind of like saying it, to be honest. Buttigieg. Yeah. Boot edge edge. Um, so, so that kind of brings me on to um, this, you know, that Pete Buttigieg has been somebody that a lot of people have had to get to know. Um, but you are a big supporter and a big enthusiast. And I'd just love to know wh- what, you know, what, how did you come to support Buttigieg? What's your story? Well, I am from South Bend, Indiana. Um, and uh, like many, many of my I actually went to St. Joe High School, which is the same high school that Pete went to, although much, much earlier than he did. And like most of my high school classmates, as soon as we had the opportunity to leave Indiana, we went as far as we could, you know, to Chicago or Colorado or a coast until we hit water and could go no farther. Or eventually Amsterdam. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, or an ocean and never came back. And um so my mother, who'd spent 20 years uh, in Seattle, retired, and we, we had lost my father, and so she, about 10 years ago, so she said, you know what, I think I'm just going to move back to South Bend. Um, it made a lot of sense. Uh, she was much closer to her oldest friends and our family, and the flight to Amsterdam to visit us was much easier. And so she just bought this really cute little 1920s Tudor cottage cottage in an old historic leafy neighborhood and close to the river that runs through the city and my mom and I are close so we talk um, every day or Skype every day and she's got this little dog so she takes her dogs for walks and every day she would say to me oh hey Beth you know what I live next to um, I live right up the street from the mayor and um, he's so sweet and he's so young and every day we walk our dogs we're passing each other and and he (laughs) says hi and I'm like Okay, mom, cool. The mayor of South Bend, Indiana said hi to you. Like, awesome, you know. <laughs> she kept talking about the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Guess what, Beth? The mayor um, of South Bend is gay, and he's got, he married his husband, and it was so sweet, and everybody was loving it. And I was like, wow, South Bend's a very conservative Catholic town. I'm very surprised that they, you know, elected a, a, a gay mayor. Like, good for you, South Bend. And I'm like, okay, now – moving on to something more interesting, like, you know, my Instagram or something. (laughs) And then 
and I, it was just it was just really interesting to me how my mother just seemed to start I wouldn't say an obsession, but this preoccupation with the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. And I'm like, you know, mom, I need you to stop talking about this. I don't care. I've lived in South Bend till I'm and since I was 18. Like, I'm happy for you that you like your mayor, but can we just talk about something else? <laughs> so then, and you've heard Pete talk about this a number of times, um, there are these two historic floods that happened within two years of each other. And that flood affected my mom and it filled her basement up to her knees. And she said, you know what, Beth, this guy is a, is a busy guy. And he sat there and took all this complaining and abuse and demands from our neighborhood, which was his neighborhood too, and listened to every single one of us until we had exhausted ourselves while his minders were sort of in the back, like tapping on their watches. And so he, you know, he listened to everybody. He told them what they were going to do. And then he just sort of shook his head inside and said, you know, we should just really call in the Dutch. And I'm like, okay, now this guy's got my attention. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and I meant it. And so then I started looking in the, on this mayor from South Bend, Indiana. And I'm like, okay, you know, I went from, you know, who is this guy that my mom keeps harping about to, oh my God, who is this guy? And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, he went to Harvard and he's a Rhodes Scholar and he speaks eight languages and he's a a veteran and he's a concert pianist and he has two rescue dogs and it just, it was just started. It never ended. Like there was just more and more and more to learn about Pete. And just like you've heard other people say a million times, the more you know about him, the more you like him. And in addition to his credentials, he is a compassionate, brilliant, empathetic genius with executive experience and rock solid policies. And to me, he's the future of the Democratic Party. And, you know, I've never been politically active in my life. The only time I was, aside from voting, ever politically active, I think I kicked in 25 bucks to Obama's campaign one time. And I, I'm a, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a small business owner, I'm very busy, but I have two things that I do in my life. One is my business and the other one is, you know, um, volunteering for Pete. So that's that's basically the story. I'm I'm all in for this guy. That's amazing. So you you, you reference the fact that um, the type of work that a mayor does is has a lot of impact on people's lives. Um, you know, so it's it's a it's a very close and intimate um, sort of governing relationship that you have with, you know, you apparently your mom and the people of South Bend, Indiana. Um, do you think, how do you think that would translate into um, the work of the presidency where, you know, maybe you can't be so up close and personal with people, but, but what do you think he might've learned from his time at South Bend that would, that would help him if he were president? I'm trying to give you an answer that you probably haven't heard a million times here or from Pete himself. And I'm not sure I can really add anything to that question other than, you know, boots on the ground. You have to be able to react and face the consequences personally of your decisions, yes or no. I'd rather, I think, focus my answer on that question on the potential of this person. I don't I don't know if people really understand the exquisite intelligence that this person has and the potential, therefore, that he can bring to the presidency. And I would like to talk a little bit more about character here, because as I just mentioned, most of us who grew up in South Bend, Indiana, who had the opportunities afforded to us, the privilege afforded to us, granted, that had the opportunity to capitalize on, that did so by leaving. And when I was growing up, 
I always thought, you know, South Bend's got potential. There is a lot. I don't want to dislike my hometown. I don't want to have the feeling I can't wait to get out of here. But in truth, that is how I felt. And that is what I did. But I always thought that I always had so many ideas of how to make South Bend better. And I decided as a young person that I wasn't going to build a scene in my hometown. I was going to chase a scene that was already active somewhere else. And the the thing that the first thing of many things that I really admired about Pete, that he, the most brilliant among us a thousand times over, who could have done anything he wanted to do, gone anywhere he wanted to go, and probably write his own salary, chose to come back and make it better. And to me, that counts so much more than, you know, trying to translate executive experience experience at a mayoral level into the White House. Yeah. Um, he, he came back to serve. He did. And I've heard people say, people who, people who I have discussions with who aren't sold on Pete yet find that sometimes he, they find him maybe a bit calculating and that he's just step by step by step heading to the presidency. And I feel like that's sort of a catch-22. On the one hand, he's doing all the right things because he's goal-oriented and he wants to serve and serve at the highest level, knows that he needs to do some things to get there, and then gets criticized for doing those things. I hardly think that serving in the military and literally risking your life can be that anybody could accuse him of being calculating in that regard. I find him to be totally authentic. And while I've never met Pete in person, I feel like our childhoods were similar enough that I, I understand where where he comes from because I came from that place too. Um, Tell me more so about that. What's it like growing up in South Bend? I feel like one of the things that I've been hearing over and over in this in this primary process is Pete's obviously talked a lot about South Bend, but I've also had a lot of people coming out of the woodwork saying, yes, South Bend, Indiana, surprisingly connects to a lot of things. I've been impressed by how much of a network Pete's yeah. been able to build out even from South Bend because it seems to just be a, a really a place where, as you say, a lot of people left and a lot of brilliant people left. Um, I'm curious what it was like to grow up there and, and what you feel like it's like now. A friend of mine who's from New York, we met because uh, my mother followed, followed me out to Seattle. So I, I went to Seattle after college said, you know, it's really I mean, this is a very patronizing and condescending thing that she said. And I was annoyed for her and saying it, but she's like, you know, it's really weird, but everybody I've ever met from the Midwest is really cool. And I said, that's because everybody you've ever met from the Midwest left. <laughs> um, and so that makes sense why there would, it would be easy for him to have this network from South Bend that's expanded all over the world. Imagine a suburb of a major city, let's say Chicago, that's South Bend. The problem with it is it's just a little bit too far away to be commutable to a major city. So it's like this untethered um, town that um, on the one hand is like a very big, small town. And and so what happens is that as a result of that, it's just a little bit too far away from a major airport. It's just a little bit too far away from a major city to like jump into that city every day or every week. Um, it's Catholic and therefore very conservative. Um, and here's another thing that may sound controversial, but this is, this is my truth and God, I hate that expression. It's the first time I've ever said that out loud, but it's, it's <laughs> poignant in his early, early days. I think before he was, I think when he was still in his exploratory phase, Pete made some reference to the coastal elites and he got some flack for it. <clears throat> and 
and I want to point out to people who judged him for that, he's not talking about people that were born and raised in San Francisco or Boston. He's talking about people like me that um, move to a coast and look down upon or resent or are annoyed by or exasperated by or bored by where we're from in the middle. Um, again, going back to the fact that he decided to go and do something about this and make it a, a better place. But, you know, it was just, when you think about typical childhoods, I mean, South Bend is a is a place if you're if you live in a world of privilege, um, big houses, subdivisions, big yards. Um, my girlfriends and I spent our weekends, you know, in our bedrooms giggling and talking about boys and listening to music. And the one thing about living in South Bend is that it was very very easy to be rebellious. Like you didn't have to be terribly shocking to be a rebellious kid, which made it kind of easy if you felt rebellious. <laughs> Um, there were a lot of lakes, so, um, you know, just water skiing or um, ice skating or snowmobiling, these sorts of activities, very sports-oriented. Obviously, with the, <laughs> the University of Notre Dame is like, I always equate it to, like, a, a seagull being trapped in a spider's web. It's just this incredibly enlarged institution, literal institution onto itself. Yeah that hasn't done a very good job of integrating with the city of South Bend. And then of course there are the sections of South Bend that somebody like me never really had any exposure to, which is the lower income um, black and brown communities. Um, so that, that was an issue as well. But I mean, when you think about stifling normalcy, that, that to me, and again, I'm going to get flagged for this too, because I do have dear, dear friends who decided to spend their adulthood there. Um, that that's what it was like for me. Right. I needed to leave. Yeah. And it's, you know, and he's done a, he's done a little work to, to reinvigorate the economy. It feels like. Yeah, for sure. There's none, there's no denying that. And it still has a long way to go, but who else was going to make any improvements before him? And now Pete's created this platform that South Bend can build upon. Yeah. Fabulous. I'm curious where you position Buttigieg in terms of his political ideology, if you want to put it that way. Um, the reason I'm asking is because I think when he first came onto the scene early in the early days of the primary, um, you know, he talked a lot about kind of moving on to a new generation and it felt like he was positioning himself as kind of a new model of progressive. And then later on, it felt like he was talked about more as a moderate candidate. But I always found the most interesting part of what the stuff he talked about being more when he talked about kind of political structural reform, which was neither necessarily left nor right, but sort of more just about how the system is broken. Where do you see him ideologically? Do you see him as on the left of the party, on the right of the party? Kind of where would you put him? He's definitely on the left of the party. And he is he's not um, he's a moderate. He's not even a moderate relative to Warren or or um, Bernie, he's pragmatic, and I'll give you an analogy. Because I worked in tech for twenty years before I started my own business, and there was always this tension between the business guys who needed to bring in new clients and land deals, and the developers, the software developers who had to build whatever the business guys promised to the client. So the business guys would promise just about anything to sign the contract. And then the poor developers would, would be like, what 
did you tell them that in, in what amount of time? Like, we can't do that. You, what, what have you done to us? That's I, that's why I feel like Pete would be like the perfect project manager because he understands both sides. I think everybody up on that debate stage ultimately wants the same thing. What separates Pete from the burn the house down approach is he, I just feel like he has a much stronger, solid and detailed explanation as to how he's going to get there in the most cost efficient way and the most disrupt, least disruptive way, you know? Um, and so that, that's, that's how I feel about his ideology. Is there a particular policy that he's put forward that you're especially excited about and would especially love to see um, if you were president? There's one I love to talk about. I love them all. But the one I really like to talk about, what I think especially exemplifies the pragmatism that I just talked, is his um, policy for rural America. Mm-hmm. What I love about it is that, yes, it, there's ideology there, but it is so holistic. It is so completely well-rounded. And reading that, I think to myself, gosh, I wish I was a young person trying, just deciding, you know, a young person just out of high school who had all of these opportunities available to me that fit me better than a four-year college degree. And when Pete talks about belonging, for example, this is a perfect, this is a perfect example. So he talks about um, with the rural plan, the rural invigoration plan, um, things like paid internships, guaranteed minimum wage, technology-driven and data-driven agriculture and farming. Um, What else does he get into with this? Oh, yeah, empowering immigrants to make sure that their rights are protected. So there's an immigration story in there Um, for kids who maybe think, you know what, a four-year college degree is maybe not something that's interesting to me. There's this whole opportunity here where farming, which is what we maybe, which we had called it for the last hundred years, it's now something completely different. It's agricultural development. It's it's reinvigorating an industry that could be defined simply by the ideas and innovation of the people who care about how we're going to feed the planet. Um, it's an opportunity for America to lead the way in sustainability, especially sustainable agriculture, when we know that agriculture takes a huge percentage of water resources, for example, biofuels. Um, it's this is just is this just a perfect example of how. Pete, oh yeah, he talks about making sure that all of um, rural America has um, has high speed wireless, and so you take all of these different um, all of these different issues that have in and of themselves policy, and they're all accounted for in this one policy, which is um, uh, rural development. And right. I think, gosh, if I was eighteen years old trying to figure out what I wanted to do, knowing I cared about the environment, um, nature, I was like. This just reading this policy gives me ten different ways I could contribute to this issue that I suddenly find myself caring about. Um, and I you see that, a, yeah. So good. Oh, you just see that over and over in all of his policies that that everything is tied into each other. I don't know if you saw it; it just came out today or yesterday. A a clip um, of a young girl. She got the last question in in one of his. Um, I was like a, a town hall or a Q and A, and she said, "My dad just left our family." three years ago, it's really horrible and painful. How is it at all a good idea to separate families at the border? And he was able, and this is his genius, spontaneously to say, you have made a connection with your own compassion to understand somebody who 
in any other way, some eight-year-old child from Guatemala would have nothing else in common with you except for your shared pain. And you can use that to, you know, to understand and empathize why this is, you know, such a terrible thing. I don't hear any other candidate talking like that. And he talks like that all the time. Yeah. God, I love that. I wish we could do more of that. I wish there were more people who were capable of understanding and empathizing uh, with the children at the border, with the people who have been denied healthcare. It just feels like sometimes our, our you know, the country just feels like it's, 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 it needs to find its heart again, not even just, you know, ideas, but just find some empathy. Yeah. That's another another reason why I love Pete is the rules of the road. So everybody who supports him is expected to follow these attributes. Um, I should have them all memorized by now. It's like compassion, boldness, excellence. Um, you know, just just basically being an all around you know nice person, a thoughtful <laughs> person, a conscientious person, and and it changes your behavior because to honor Pete and his campaign you want to behave this way it makes you a better person in your own life and when i compare this <clears throat> for example to members of my family who are bernie supporters and we have daily conversations about politics i feel sorry for them because they're caving into their anger we all feel anger but those of us who choose to express it outwardly or find a different way to manage it to express our anger in a different way with positivity, compassion, sympathy. I think we're happier people. Um, anger is cheap and it's easy and it is not what's going to heal this country um, if anger wins. No matter. Yeah. I think the rules of the road is a really, a really interesting idea. And it feels to me, I mean, I worked, I worked on the Obama campaigns, you know, 2008, especially 2012 as well a bit. But I remember back then, you know, to be crude, they had a, a formal no assholes policy. Um, mm. and, and it was basically like, don't come to work for this campaign and don't come to work on this campaign and don't give your time to this campaign if you're doing it to be a, to be a jerk to someone you know yeah. we don't we're, we're not here for that we're here for lifting each other up and supporting each other um you know and that was that was both because they thought it would be a better way to run a campaign and that the campaign would be better because there would be trust um and i always thought that was really important that they they, they thought about creating an organization where there would be trust and respect so that people could be honest with each other about how they thought in ways that facilitate a conversation i thought as a country, you know, again, it sounds like we all we all we all need a bit more of that. It sounds like the Pete campaign is 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 taking a similar approach of being thoughtful about how we interact with each other. It sounds like it. Um, obviously, it worked very well for Obama. Um, I do see, for example, on Twitter, we keep each other in check. Like, hey, that was that was really snarky. <laughs> Rules of the road. Come on, we can do better than this, you know. <laughs> and sometimes I also wonder if people are almost afraid of showing more compassion or showing more empathy or being nicer because that takes a little bit more responsibility. It's actually also in the short term, maybe not as fun as coming up with the zinger. Mm. Um, but in the long term, it's definitely more fulfilling, obviously, and will make everybody happier. But I, I just think the habit of anger is something we have to work to crawl out of. And um, Pete supporters have a platform, once again, that helps us get there. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I think another thing that's happening, perhaps, I'm just speculating about this, is because Trump has made the world so ugly and so hostile, um, and it it often feels like our side decides that we can only beat that by 
by one upping it, right? Like we can be the bigger jerk. <laughs> and then unfortunately, you know, the, the being, being obnoxious works better for the right than it does for the left, because we need to, you know, inspire and excite people to want to come out and vote positively. It's not enough to do it negatively. Um, and I think, you know, for them suppressing, suppressing our vote is more valuable perhaps than getting out some of their own. So, yeah, I think I think we we're in a we're in an awful situation of you know the world feels so ugly and down downbeat. Um, it's nice to see a candidate trying to trying to lift people up again. Yeah, I had suggested agree agree totally, and I had suggested I don't know whenever it was that when Trump um, had maybe put forth the idea that we buy Greenland off of Denmark, <laughs> like that's actually a great idea. Like we'll buy Greenmark, Den- we'll buy Greenland, have Pete go run it, and everybody can just go move to Greenland, and we can just kind of cut the U.S. loose. That that sounds fine to me. So <laughs> wherever we can start, I'm I'm, I'm I'll go there. Um, but yes, I agree with you. So listen, let's let's cast our minds forward. Let's you know, there's a there's a long road between now and the convention, but let's let's fast forward to it. Let's say Pete were the nominee and he stood up on that stage and he made his big speech and he accepted the nomination as, by the way, the first gay American uh, presidential nominee, which would be a, a big big move forward, or at least openly gay. Um, what happens next between convention day and the election how would you envision the race to go how how would he demonstrate that he's the right person to be uh to be the 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 candidate facing donald trump i would imagine it will go exactly the same as it is now just to a broader audience if he's very consistent on his message i would love for people to be able to see him get a little bit deeper into his policies because that's when he gets really animated when he can talk about water management or talk about renewable energy um and again just to see that glimpse of that brilliance and that genius and that the comprehensiveness um of of his plans and then, of course, for me, I always, and I ask other people to do this too, imagine him debating Trump, assuming Trump would even, if, if Trump does that, then he's like the bravest guy on the planet and also the most foolhardy, to just a picture this young, calm, um, steadfast man going up against Donald Trump and 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 watching Donald Trump just have a meltdown and Pete just... Maybe having some sympathy for the guy, I don't know, um, but that's what that's the eye. The um, have my, sorry, have my eye on the prize is for that moment. Um, and otherwise, I think it's hard for me to say because I'm so deep into his campaign. I've, I I'm for sure don't have quite a realistic expectation on how regular people who are maybe just now paying attention to this um, know about him, but. I will imagine, just like the rest of us, the more people know about Pete, the more that they will like him and support him. Um, the crowds will get better, the bigger the cheers will get bigger, the optimism and the joy will swell. That's what I see happening. Yeah. Well, let's hope, uh, should we wind up in that situation, that that's the case. But uh, <laughs> it, certainly, it certainly is a beautiful vision. I love it. Do you think that there is, do you think it's a strength or a weakness that Pete is, would be the youngest president ever elected? I can, I will say it is a strength, but I think it's a strength that's unique to Pete, again, because of his extraordinary intelligence. Um, You know, I just, I just saw a, a post on one of my social media feeds that was reminding us of the compromised, um, 
intellectual prowess of aging presidencies. I mean, everybody knows that Reagan was, you know, suffering dementia in the last years of his presidency. Of course, I'm not going to say that that's inevitable for somebody who's in their mid to late 70s. But um, it, not only is he young, he's fit. He is athletic. Um, he has the energy, I have no doubt, to get up at two in the morning when some crisis is happening and be able to deal with it immediately. He's not up on stage like the 70-year-olds during the debate constantly clearing his throat, you know? I mean, it's just, I, I, I think, of course, it's an advantage. Of course, it's an advantage. Yeah. Yes. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's it's a remarkable. I think you you point out it is remarkable how old the rest of the democratic field is. You know, somebody said to me the other day that you know if Bill Clinton could run again, he would be the third youngest candidate on the stage, and you know he was president what like thirty years ago. So, um, yeah. you know, it's not a spry group of people. It's a um, he's he's conspicuously the youngest in in not just an average group but an unusually old group of people, and I think he talks a lot about that in terms of generational change. Yes. Do you think that Pete's generation and and those you know his age and younger see the world in fundamentally different terms that are that we need to that we need to take on board? How how is that different? I would say yes and no. I mean, fundamentally, all human beings want the same thing. Um, the way that they see the world, of course, is through screens now. Um, I'm always impressed with young people. Cause I'm 50 years old, so I'm I'm not a millennial. Um, but the young people in my life, 20 year olds, I'm always impressed that of their they they need to satisfy their curiosity, and you could also call that a need for instant gratification. But if you ask them a question and they don't know it, they say, let's look it up. Let's look it up. And I was like, wow, that's really cool that they're actually looking something up. So they want to know the answer. Now, whether or not they retain that knowledge, I, I'm not sure, but maybe they don't need to because it's always right there for them. And at least they're, they're trying to find out the answer to something. Um, it, to me, it's also a little bit like that debate that was going on with Brexit, that older people are making a decision that's going to impact them for maybe the next 10 or 20 or 30 years of their life. And it's going to impact the young people who didn't get a chance to vote for Brexit for their entire lives. And while, again, I think that the policy for all the Democratic candidates or rather that the goals that they want are similar, you know, universal health care and good education and a more equitable society. Um, I feel like if people who maybe haven't given Pete a chance would do so, they would see that his path to achieving that is much more realistic. And the fact that he is himself sort of on the older edge of a millennial, I'm not sure how relevant that is. But yes, of course, younger people see the world differently than we do. The, the How they see it is different, but the way that they see it, I think, again, it perhaps is not that different. Everybody everybody wants the, th the same things out of life yeah. at the end of the people day. are people. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you alluded to it earlier on, but, but one of the, one of the things I hear from people who are being snarky about Pete, people who are not following the rules of the road and, mm -hmm. and being snarky or critical, um, is there seems to be this sense of, Oh, he's very superficial that, you know, that he just comes on and he spouts these talking points um, and that, you know, there's a perception that people have um, that he doesn't have the depth behind his plans. And as you said, you know, it, he is very more than capable of expounding upon it. 
But I, I'm curious because one of the perceptions that I've had is that um, that that's a bit of a catch-22 because the reason it perhaps comes across that way is he's he's very good at media management. He's very good at talking to the press and, and going on television and sort of articulating a very clear, crisp, um, well, well-defined well message, you know, with consistency and compassion and so forth. He's really good at that. I wonder if you feel like he's become so good at it that, you know, superficially he doesn't seem as authentic as some other candidates who are a little more off the cuff. Yeah, I would exactly, I have in the past um, and also recently described that situation exactly as a catch-22 because that's what it is. I would only ask those people who, I mean, I guess it's how you define authenticity. So if you if you define authenticity with screaming and red-faced finger-jabbing and, you know, throwing your fist up in the air um, and using the word fight a lot, um, somebody likes to think of herself as a fighter, sure, I guess that that's one way to express authenticity. I, again, ask people who would you rather have up in a debate with Donald Trump? Someone who may seem slightly slick and calculating, even if that is not the case at all, or somebody else that's just going to go, you know, head to head with this guy in a volume raising contest. Um, you know, I, I just think that that's people bringing their own biases um, to a candidate that are that's just simply unfair. Pete and mm -hmm. Chastin care incredibly deeply about the issues um, that concern all of us. And the fact that he's very well prepared and, and unbelievably articulate, articulate, I don't understand how that would be counted against him. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no sense to me. I think, I think you're right. I think there are biases, but I think the other thing that's defining so much of this reaction that people have to the race is just anxieties, right? People can see the downsides to every candidate and, uh, you know, people are, people are nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you think Pete could do to give people, maybe reinvigorate that some of that sense of confidence and belief. Reinvigorate? Do you think that he's losing? No, no, um, I don't mean in him. I mean, in the country, it's, uh, you know, it, there's, it, there feels like a lot of on the democratic side. Um, there's, there's a nervousness that people have about, you know, this election, how it's going to go. And uh, it feels like we're all looking for something that's going to be a safe bet. And there isn't one. So, how do we navigate that? Living in Europe, we're inundated with American politics <clears throat> quite a bit. And when I talk to my friends in the U.S. and I say to them, you know, maybe instead of spending half your day um, posting negative <laughs> things about Trump that we all know about, maybe you should get a little bit more politically involved yourself for the candidate you prefer. Yep. And my friends will say, but you don't know how bad it is here. It is constant. It is horrible. And I'm like, okay, but it's only as constant and horrible as to the extent that you're paying attention to it and being reactive. Mm -hmm. So my request <clears throat> and my hope is that if people really do feel as anxious as they say and are scared as they say, to please invest some time in reading every single Democratic candidate's policies and then make the decision for yourself who you support. Because I am sure that most people who do this will, I don't know how you could not support Pete. I, it just <laughs> makes no sense to me. Um, <laughs> so that would be my request, I guess, is if you're anxious, salt, soothe and salve your anxiety by reading some policy 
and then you get behind the candidate, get out there and get behind the candidate that you support. And I'm pretty sure it would be Pete. (laughs) I I love that. Action is curative. Action makes you feel better. It makes you do better. Action is curative. Yes. I'm going to steal that. (laughs) So listen, um, Beth, I've got um, a little game that we like to play at the end of episodes. I call it the gut check game um, in which we, I will read out quotes um, heard around the campaign trail. In this case, I've got some, some Pete quotes um, and we just select some at random, read it out and, and we react to them. Um, and when, so well, if you don't mind, let's, let's play around to that. And then at the very we- end, I'll give you a chance to make your, your, your final two sentence elevator pitch for Pete. What do you mean by react? Can we do a trial, a test practice first? Do you mean like a sure. one word response or what do you mean? Just what's your, what's your, like- what's your gut check? So okay. if I said, you know, like if I read a quote that said, I don't know, um, Donald Trump is coming to my hometown. <laughs> What's my gut say? Like, oh, okay, well. got it. I'm ready. <laughs> oh, did I lose you? Karen, you can't hear me. I can oh, no, hear you. I'm back. Are you back? Okay, we're back. Yep, okay, we're back. Great. All right. Great. 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 So for those who are new to the podcast, the gut check game um, is a little game we play in which I have in front of me some slips of paper that I have put into my trusty Red Sox baseball cap um, containing quotes or sayings heard around the campaign trail. In this week's episode, because it is our special Pete Buttigieg themed episode, I have some quotes from Mayor Pete. I will read them out and Beth and I will just react to them. So the first quote, um, this is something, okay. Pete says, as a mayor, my instinct is to really think about how to get something done and not to make the promise unless you have the view of the pathway. You don't have to have it all figured out, but you have to have a pathway. Yes, I would say um, the smaller you start, the faster you can start. Yep. Start small, move fast. Yes. I like it. I like it. Here's a quote um, which made made me crack up. He says, So I've learned as a young Democrat, I've learned to think cautiously before offering advice to Nancy Pelosi. (laughs) See, he's even smarter than I thought he was. (laughs) Yeah. Nancy Pelosi doesn't need a lot of my political tactical advice. She kind of knows what she's doing, I think. (laughs) People forget this about her. Nancy knows some stuff. Um. Here's a quote. He says, I thought this was really interesting. He says, my high school in South Bend had nearly a thousand students. Statistically, that means that several dozen were gay or lesbian. Yet when I graduated in 2000, I had yet to encounter a single openly LGBT student there. So today, this video is going around that's viral where a nine-year-old boy went up on stage in front of a room full of people and asked Pete to help him come out to the world. So what a difference a generation makes and what a difference Pete makes. A thousand percent. You know, it's something I think a lot about is young people who are growing up in small towns where they may not feel comfortable um, being the person that they are, being their authentic selves. It always means something to have a role model. So I think it's great that Pete's able to play that role for young people. And, and old people, frankly, there's plenty of in the closet older gay people who who could use a bit of a, a bit of inspiration. And Chastin as well. We got to give some love to Chastin. 
Oh my gosh. Can I just say that whoever the nominee winds up being, I would love for Chastin to be the first gentleman. Like, I, I, you know, as presidential spouses go, he's freaking adorable. I know. We need more, we need more social studies teachers in the White House as a general rule. I got to meet him at a fundraising dinner and he is even sweeter and even lovelier in person. And he tells this story, which I'm sure the poor thing has had to tell a thousand times, um, being from, you know, Northern Michigan, where you're so afraid to come out because people will, he used the word disgusting, where people around you will think that you're disgusting. (laughs) And it made me cry because I thought, how could anybody think that this beautiful young man is disgusting and it really hit home what what gay and trans and bi people have to deal with in this country that 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 you're thought about in those terms it just i was like oh god we've got to get these guys in the white house it changes everything so yeah here's another quote um Pete says, when I was deployed, I could feel a full spectrum of American power keeping me safe. And yes, that was the armor on my vehicle. Yes, it was the armor on my body. But it was also the armor of some level of American moral authority. Hmm. My gut wants to pivot on that one a little bit. Um, and talk about his experience of the military that brings people together from all different backgrounds because your life depends on somebody having your back. And I love that quote, and I wish I had it memorized, but he says, where somebody just like you or not at all like you yeah. can support you. I guess that to me that's the moral American authority, moral authority we should aspire to. You know, um, yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. The military has been a a place where Americans of all walks in life come together. And, you know, he talks about, you know, in his book, which I read, he talks about when he was, you know, first started doing his training and he would show up and he was, you know, at, at home, he was the mayor. But here he was just another guy and he was next yeah. to people from all over the country. And you could sort of see a snapshot of, of the country. I, I think about it a lot as somebody, you know, like you who lives abroad is is American moral authority. You know, it's something we've we've relied upon, you know, a, a, an assumption of moral authority that, you know, we haven't always done the work to live up to. Um, but we've never we've never abandoned it entirely, you know, and Trump goes around saying things like, you know, oh, well, you know, America's not so great. I mean, he does. He says things like, you know, we commit murders, everybody does bad things, but it it makes it clear that his view of foreign power is purely transactional, that there's no moral center around, no, no, no sense of gravity. Um, And I think it just feels really upending. So it's nice to hear a president talking about trying to restore you know, as an aspiration, the idea of integrity in foreign policy. Yeah, I guess I'm having a my my. This is a tough gut check one for me. That that word American or the term American moral authority, having lived in Europe mm. for so long. Sure. You know, American does America doesn't have the monopoly on moral authority, and it certainly has um, you know a despicable past, just like most Western Europe countries do. Um, uh, the, the difference is that America is a very young country. So I do have that perspective living in Europe that um, 
aside from World War II, a lot of it's more heinous crimes um, are maybe a bit older than America. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm struggling with that a little bit, especially in the Netherlands, where I think that that people here are just are they treat for the most part and relatively speaking treat each other so well. Um, but sure, yeah. But sure, <laughs> if, if if that's what he felt, then that's great for him. So Beth. Um, we're coming to the end of our time. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I want to give you a chance to make one final elevator pitch. Let's say you and me get in a lift together. We're going up to the 20th floor. You've got 30 seconds to convince me that Pete should be my guy. What would you say? I think everybody wants to have their potential believed in. And I can't think of a single person on this planet that has more potential to realize the goals for America than Pete Buttigieg. But it's more than that because a lot of the candidates basically want the same thing. Um, But it's the way that we achieve those things with Pete that has convinced me that he is the right candidate above all others. He is transparent with his plans. He is transparent about how much things are going to cost. And a lot of his plans are actually much, much cheaper than some of his competitors. And I will say this final thing, that demeanor matters. So while people may think that maybe he's too young or maybe he doesn't have the right type of experience, his demeanor and his temperament influence the way that other people behave toward each other. And when we talk about a country that needs healing, needs sympathy, empathy, and compassion, we need a leader whose example and his personality and the way he composes himself is a way, something that we can follow. Thank you so much, Beth Massa. And that's it. If you have been enjoying listening to this podcast, it would mean a lot to me if you would take a moment to rate or review the podcast. Um, If you are listening and you are not yet a subscriber, please subscribe. Um, It would mean a lot to me as well. Um, I've been building this podcast for, you know, about a year and a half now. Uh, It's coming up towards the end game of the Democratic primary. um, And um, I've been really enjoying it, but it really helps me if you can let people know about it. Um, Spread the word if this podcast has been valuable to you. You can always reach me um, on Twitter. I'm at KarenJR on Twitter. Um, If you are an American abroad like myself, then I should let you know that you have the opportunity of participating in the global presidential primary, which has already kicked off. Ballots are available to Democrats abroad members um, already. You can vote online, you can vote uh, by post, or you can vote in person, which is what I will be doing at a presidential primary event in London on the 3rd of March. That's super Tuesday. At some point between now and that date, I will have to finally, finally, for sure, for real, make up my mind which candidate I am supporting. And Emma Burnell will be interviewing me next next week for this podcast about the choice that I have made. So stay tuned. At some point between now and next Monday, I will definitely let you know who I am supporting. Um, it's been it's been a journey. Thank you for taking it with me. If you're an American back home, of course, you can vote. Um, You can register and get your ballot at vote.org. I should let you know that this podcast is not affiliated with any other organization or entity. It is just me wishing you a wonderful week, and I will speak to you Friday.